Welcome to Grace 360, a vibrant discussion on issues of diversity that we hope is engaging, biblical, and slightly entertaining. The goal of these podcasts is to create a healthy, honest, and helpful discussion for Christian educators, parents, and students from a biblical perspective on current cultural issues relating to diversity. Diversity, for our purposes, is related to the acrostic grace, gender, race, age, ability, culture, and economic status. While we don't have all the answers, we hope our discussion is thought-provoking and helpful. Welcome to Grace 360. Well, welcome back. Um, it's been a while since we've been together. So how's everyone doing? I mean, just, I mean, we literally have not been together in quite a while. We're all kind of in different roles and different places and different, doing different things. I just, how's everyone doing? We're great. <laughs> I don't know Mar- you say that with <laughs> Marcus looks tired. <laughs> <laughs> Marcus looks tired, but I think he's doing really well. Uh-huh. And why would that be to Marcus? Is there any reason that you should be tired? Because I have a beautiful daughter now. Yay! <laughs> Add a two. Two under two. Two under two. That would make anybody Ooh. tired. Plus you're doing ministry work. Plus you have coffee. Like there's so many things in this. Shout out Crown Coffee Roasters. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> stop, ro- stop, stop roasting it and start drinking it. Oh, I mean, it's same time. <laughs> So, um, and then Dan and I have switched roles a little bit. Um, I have now transitioned over to another school. I'm Mm -hmm. excited to begin building a program there. Um, I'm a little bit, you know, have been in the same place for almost 20 years. And I'm just excited to see how to start beginning to build a new program within a different culture and context in school. Um, Also a little overwhelmed and what that all entails. But Dan, you're doing something else too. Well, so I'm going to pick up um, kind of the 17-year program that Jenny has created uh, at the school that I'm at, uh, and hopefully uh, keep a lot of uh, the great diversity work going at our school, and then uh, be able to kind of look at a new season, new strategy, just talking to parents about uh, the work that needs to be done and what we can continue uh, moving forward. So uh, a lot of uh, Jenny's program uh, that she put in is actually part of the kind of the DNA of our school, so I'm thrilled uh, that she did such a great job um, of uh, building an incredible diversity program. Um, we're going to talk about that a little bit today, right, about um, just kind of the, the fears and the hurdles and the obstacles of actually creating a diversity program. And Jenny's really uh, the great person to talk about it because she actually did it. And so we're super excited about the opportunity for uh, her to do that at another school because it's such great work. Um, but we're also uh, really excited about just keeping the work going uh, at where I'm at. And I'm, I'm uh, just glad that the last six, seven years, uh, I've been able to work real closely with Jenny. Uh, so uh, she's been able to kind of train me a little bit, but there's still so much to learn. And I'm just excited about the opportunity to uh, to learn a little bit more and kind of lean into the issues and, and find out how I can do what I can do to help uh, keep that work going. Thanks, Dan. I didn't expect all that, but thank you. It is always an honor and a pleasure to work with you as no matter how many times we argue and discuss and have fun in the work, I'm excited for you to continue it. And I'm excited to see what we can do at another school. And Cindy, you continue to teach seven classes and now you're preparing to speak at the Christian Educators Diversity Symposium this summer. We're so excited, June 6th through 8th. Um, The website is Christian 
diversity.school where we'll be at Mount Perrin. We're going to talk about the theology, who God is in regards to made in his image with all the diversity that he has created, the philosophy, all those fun things that we can talk about today too, those fears from critical race theory of collectivism to individualism, how all that plays out, and then the practice. And Cindy, you're going to be helping us lead at that conference. We're so excited about that. So seven history classes, right, is what you currently teach mm-hmm. from yeah. all perspectives, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, from all perspectives. I mean, yes, from all perspectives. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just trying to survive the school <laughs> in the age of COVID, you know, yeah. Um, with, um, yeah, raised ninth grade boys to be gentlemen and um, trying to sneak as much music in there as I possibly can. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love, I yeah, love going down the hallway, especially when there aren't kids in the building and just hearing all the music. Yeah, so, <laughs> that would be me. Just follow the music yeah, and you'll find me. follow the music. <laughs> <laughs> but, so but, um, I thought the topic today, if y'all are good with us, would be interesting to discuss fears. Um, when I have schools call me, um, there's oftentimes some fears associated with the work. Um, moving into a new school, I have actually some fears, I guess, not necessarily like grandiose fears because I've been in the work for so long, but just some, okay, what am I stepping into and how does this need to, um, how do I do this well in this new culture and environment? And so um, I thought that maybe we could just open it up to this idea of fears. And I think there's a lot of fears associated with diversity, equity, and inclusion work in a Christian school. And so maybe if we could start with maybe from that initial administrator's perspective. You're in a predominantly white community. You are a white administrator and y'all are thinking about starting this path of diversity, equity, and inclusion work. Can we talk through what some of those fears are that come with that work? Yeah, I think, um, you know, the, the idea being, uh, and we've, we've talked about this before and, and you've, you know, helped so many different schools kind of address this uh, particular issue. Um, but, you know, the reality of a, of a kingdom-based, you know, Christ-centered school uh, is still a private school and it's a business and it has to be run. And uh, if, if for some reason, right, people um, are not going to um, be inclusive uh, and feel like this is a great thing for their particular school and you get people upset, um, you know, you have a possibility of, of people leaving. Uh, and I think, you know, when we talk about uh, diversity issues, when we talk about racial issues, uh, if we look at the world around us, I mean, obviously, these kind of conversations uh, can really be very emotional, uh, be very uh, difficult to have, be very difficult to navigate. Uh, and I think a lot of people uh, are kind of like, why, why would I, you know, bring that into my school, uh, it's going to be too difficult uh, to, to navigate. Um, we're going to get a lot of people upset. Uh, and so even though I think a lot of people probably understand the importance of it, uh, the idea would be, you know, if we offend the wrong people, um, we're going to end up, um, you know, being in a, being in a bad situation uh, and it's not going to be worth the effort. And so I think that's, that's kind of the, one of the main ideas that we've talked about, you know, just continually over the years that we've been, uh, you know, addressing this is, you know, how do you, how do you overcome that initial fear that uh, it is going to be worth it in the long run? And the, uh, the, the cost, right, that you might have to pay is actually worth it because these conversations are so important uh, to have. And I think that's, that's one of the things that we really need to wrestle with. 
Yeah. Okay. So I, I'll bring up, you brought up the term inclusion. And one of the things that I think school administrators wrestle a lot with is this fear about terminology, what words to use, what words not to use. Inclusion is one of those words that school communities, I've had school, we, we just can't use that terminology in our school. Um, how do y'all, as you wrestle with this, with people, like, how do you bridge that gap? Oftentimes what I ask for before we begin a diverse city discussion is let's define the terminology before we begin so that we all know where we're coming from. So inclusion to me is just, it's a sense of belonging that, that I am part of the community, that it is, um, they have anticipated my arrival, that I, they want me and that I'm here. Um, people associate it with, right. Like being asked, not just being asked to the dance, but being asked to dance, um, those kind of things. So defining those terms, have y'all wrestled with those ideas of, you know, even social justice and biblical justice or diversity, inclusion, equity, privilege, what does it look like as is fears like in the bigger picture of being fearful of what words mean? Well, that's something that we have to, I have to address in my class, especially in my AP U.S. history class, but I started even with the ninth graders when we're doing this world history. Um, I think one of the, well, as you've already said, one of our problems in this work of diversity is that we're using the same terms as the world, but our definitions are different because we're coming from a biblical base. So oftentimes, I don't, uh, what I run into, even in my classroom with my students um, and with, our, with my colleagues, I'll use a term and they think I'm using it the way the world is using it. So they think that that's my definition. I think that's a huge hurdle we all have to get over. Um, it, it's frustrating, it's tiring, and it's exhausting um, because how do you create a whole different vocabulary? And, and honestly, it's how do you how do you learn a whole different vocabulary? Because yeah. this, this wasn't a part of my vocabulary um, before, you know, Jenny um, came in and sat in my office and, and forced it on me. Right. Where she's like, you need to know these things. You, you need to understand these. You need to include this. Uh, and really, it, it's you know, it's it's learning a lot of things that unfortunately, um, you know, I have not learned in the past. Um, you know, I, I had the I had the opportunity not to be engaged in these conversations. And so just, you know, the idea of a, a lot of the words, Jenny, that you actually threw out, right? I think a lot of people would be like, well, I, I don't know what they mean. Um, all I know is when I read about them, all I see is controversy, right? And people being very angry on either side. So is it really worth uh, the energy of, of diving in there and, and trying, to, trying to bring this into my school? Like what, I mean, in a sense, what's the, what's the benefit uh, and I know it's a bad question to ask, right? But what's the benefit to us as a school, right, to do this, right? I mean, it seems like it's, it's you know, it's fraught with more, um, you know, pitfalls uh, and landmines, right, than more benefits. And I think that's one of the things that a lot of people are wrestling with. So I'm going to throw this out there. And Tamarcus, I'm going to, sorry, I'm going to put you on the hot spot like I do. I'm sorry about that. But as, as we talk, as Dan and I talk about this, obviously, well, not obviously for those who can't see us, but we're white. And so we're talking about this kind of in that philosophical sense. And you love to talk about it, things in the philosophical sense. But for you also, it's very practical for you and Cindy. It's very personal for you and Cindy. And so can you talk a little bit about as we discuss philosophies, how, like how that impacts you and what that looks like as a person of color in this work? Uh, 
I'm specifically as it comes to like the t- with the terminologies. Are we talking like CRT privilege, whatever the case may be? Sure. Um, quite honestly, I I feel like um, the the opposition to it all, like it just like it just feels like distracting from the main point. So if I'm honest, like it's like in terms of like when it comes to defining terms, which I'm a like Sydney, like I'm a huge advocate of that. Like words have meaning and so you have to we all need to to know the terms we're describing. But um it it seems often that that those things are uh just often like cop outs to like avoid the broader conversation. Um, and lately I've just found it easier to just, just stick with biblical language. Um, let's talk about unity. That's in the Bible. Let's talk about uh, the one another's that's in the Bible. Uh, let's, let's exegete, you know, the, this, the, the context where we're finding these one another's. Oh, they're in like, it's in the church, which at the time was, multiracial was uh men and women was rich and poor uh it it crossed socioeconomical racial cultural lines um and so knowing that that's the case how are we exercising those things uh today within the context when i talk about uh reconciliation that's a biblical term um corinthians tells us that we were given um the ministry of reconciliation, first reconciling men to God and then men to one another. Um, and just like, all right, if we're, if we're, if we all are holding to the Bible, like all of those words are like, those are gospel centered words. So how do we, mm-hmm. now what do we do? Um, and to this, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's draining argument about stuff that, just quite frankly, isn't, isn't the crux of the issue. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that there's the fear and the, the philosophies and the words and how we use them that I think there's also the fear and the practicality of how this plays out. Um, I know that Dan and I teach a class um, at, on diversity for primarily juniors and seniors, a dual credit course, and we're on ability. And so um, we had some parents of children with disabilities come and speak and they were talking about, you know, how do you address this? You know, what, what does this look like? How do you ask questions about it? Those kind of things. And I think that that's something that our administrators really wrestle with is, is the fear of if I address the situation, will I be considered this? Will I say the wrong word? How do I handle this so that it doesn't come off offensive? And um, what I have learned to just encourage is starting that dialogue. So it doesn't just happen if a situation occurs, but let's have this dialogue continue so that you feel more comfortable in those spaces. And um, I know that one of my good friends who's um, a teacher, she struggles with that too. Like if, it, if a situation arises where there's some discrimination, it's obvious discrimination between students, how do you address that if the whole class sees it? How do you address that so that the kid who was the victim feels supported and loved, but also doesn't feel put back on the spot. And then how do you address it so that the person who offended 
um, is taught the lesson so that they don't continue that offense. And so do y'all have any input in what that looks like? Well, as, as, as a teacher, uh, I'm the one that has to, that takes the bullet. I stand between the students, um, figuratively speaking, sometimes literally. I have to stand between the students when something like that happens. It recently happened in my AP U.S. History class. Um, you know, one of the things that we have to study in AP U.S. History is the gay rights movement um, and how it started in the 1970s. And some of the boys had gone um, forward in the textbook and they had found the picture of some, some men marching in Greenwich Village um, at the start of the movement in the 1970s when it was becoming very public or starting to become public. And I, I needed, I thought it was important that they acknowledge what they were doing. So I went over there and acted ignorant. I'm like, oh, did you guys find a picture in the book? You know, what, what is it that you guys are, 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 are talking about? You know, and, and they were kind of snickering about it and, and they suddenly became very uncomfortable. Right. And finally, one of them was what, uh, opened up and owned up to what they were doing. It's important for us to take them back to, and this is a, it's a tricky balance. Um, if someone is living that lifestyle, that doesn't negate the fact that they're an image bearer. And as believers, we believe that that's their original thumbprint of sin. It may not be, it isn't the, the, the case for a single one of us on this podcast, but my original thumbprint of sin, even though it's not that, uh, where I'm same-sex attracted, mine, one of mine is pride. That's no better. You know, we're the ones that graduate sin. We're the ones that put it on the on the beaker um, sort of deal. So I, I had to, number one, keep my cool. I don't know, to be honest with you, if I have a single kid in that class that is same-sex attracted, but I know that we have kids in our school that are. I, I would challenge anyone in a Christian school um, to, to understand that, I, that chances are they have at least one student walking those hallways that is. Yeah. And as a teacher, my job is to keep them safe, just like it is to keep every other kid safe, because I love every single one of the kids that God has blessed me with as my students. And I had, to, I had to, to stay cool, not make a big deal of it, because We've talked about it before. If it drags on and on and on, right? But make very clear that I am just as protective of the two boys. I would be just as, as protective of the two boys that were snickering as I am of 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 a student who might be sitting in my classroom who is same sex attracted. I, I would never let anyone make fun of my student that is same-sex attracted any more than I would let anyone make fun of the two boys that were snickering for another reason. Mm -hmm. um, it's a hard balance, though. It's, it, it's you know, especially since we are the ones that graduate sin, we tend to classify something like that as a much graver sin than something like lying or pride or laziness mm -hmm. or gluttony. Right? Can I, can I um, jump in on that? Because I think... I'm sorry. No, I'm saying, can I... I say, can I add to your to what you just stated? Absolutely, um, I need help. I, I've not arrived or achieved. I need help. Oh too. no, I mean what you're saying. What you're saying is dead on. But like, I say, like taking it, taking it to the to the scriptures. Even, um, you know, we we culturally 
um, probably at more so as a Christian culture, we make we make it difficult, like you say, because of how we elevate and categorize sins. But uh, man, I'm I've been convicted lately. So we're going through Proverbs in our Bible study, um, and in our study, uh, actually was teaching through um, virtue. And one of the one of the categories of virtue that we talked through was uh, humility, um, and how the 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 other side of that is pride. There's also when we talk about speech and how lying plays into that. Now, I was fascinated. Uh, there's a there's a passage in Proverbs six uh, sixteen through nineteen. It says, "The Lord hates six things. In fact, seven are detestable to Him." Some translations say abominable or abominations. It says arrogant eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. Uh, we know that Jesus tells us later, right? If you've been angry with your brother in your heart, you've already uh, you've already committed murder, right? A heart that plots wicked schemes, feet eager to run to evil, a lying witness who gives false testimony, and one who stirs up trouble among brothers. Um, man, God, God is so much more concerned with our hearts that, like, if we, if our theology of sin was really where it was supposed to be, like that, it would not be hard for me to be able to sit next to somebody wrestling with that and feel like man we are we are equally in need of god's grace and mercy um that what whatever like the fact that we even think we could elevate ourselves above one another is just i mean that's that's to be arrogant in eyes like to to even think that but that that goes back to i think part of the the when we talk about the difficulty and fear and having this conversation is um even within the church we've allowed we've allowed um so much not just of the language but even of our ideologies and the way we see other people to be co-opted by the culture um and so what what makes it so hard and where the fear comes in is when when all of a sudden my normal and my um my understanding of things meets truth and they're not compatible and cohesive. I got to do something. Um, either I have to submit to truth or I have to excuse myself. Um, and as the Proverbs would say, do what's right in my own eyes. Uh, and what's, what's scary is if you're somebody who doesn't have a lot of power and you're trying to humble yourself to truth, and then someone with power is trying to do what's right in their own eyes. Uh, that that fear becomes very legitimate. Um, the the question is is who who we fear more. I mean that's I know that can feel like a, a easy out, but that that's what it comes down to uh, when you look at the apostles in the book of Acts, right? And it's like, hey, either we're gonna we're going to continue to share the gospel and we're going to continue to do what God called us to do. And then you have the state that's like, Hey, if you keep doing this, we're going to throw you in jail. And they're like, all right, well, so be it. Um, I fear God more than I fear you and what you can do to me. Um, I think the hard part, you know, in the discussion is obviously 
and the world is, you know, we're, we're kind of counterculture. We're called to be counterculture. I think it's hard when, like you said, so much of the Christian culture has adopted so much of the world culture and we're in fighting within ourselves. And that's where it just becomes even harder um, with the work. But um, I know that when I talk to students and a situation has arise, say a situation has arise where a lot of other students saw the situation. And one of the things they've always told me is, what we want you to do is just shut it down, make it obvious that no one's supposed mm-hmm. to do this. And then late, like don't make it, make it a huge deal where it goes on and on and on. And I end up being the center of attention for, you know, for a very long time, just shut it down and then pull that kid out who victimized and, you know, have the deal with that kid. And then, you know, let me know that I'm worthy. And I, you know, how am I feeling? Check up on me, see how things are going. Um, so those are, I think, creating those places where teach, faculty and staff can wrestle through responses. They can ask those questions. We can have honest dialogue with our students about how this best plays out, I think, are important things. Um, so we kind of handled some of the administrator, faculty and staff um, of the majority culture, some of their fears. But I would love for you all to speak into the fears of being a faculty and staff or administrator of color and coming into a predominantly white environment. What what are some of the fears associated with that? Do you all mind speaking into that? Go to Marcus. Got you. Um, <laughs> my my biggest fear coming in was always uh well i would say this there was two things one was i i felt an obligation and still feel an obligation uh calling is probably a better word that um it got it like got to uniquely place me and crafted me to be able to bridge the gap between cultures and so um sometimes that just I think because I'm also in it. So like I'm just hyper aware of stuff. I think all of us kind of are in this realm now, but it can just feel like sometimes I'm afraid of being the, like just the sounding gong. That's just like always, you know, to the point to where anytime you bring something up, people's thoughts are just like, you always make it about race and not like my voice is becoming uh, illegitimized uh, from, for being aware. Um, And then probably the second thing is, a fear of like if if I was fully myself around some people like how their perceptions of me would change um, versus when I'm if I'm code switching and mm-hmm. you know making myself appeasable um, so that people's feathers aren't ruffled um, which I try really hard not to do, but I know like sometimes it's just inevitable because it just becomes like second nature. Um, but yeah, those are probably two things that were constantly always in my radar. Mm-hmm. And it's exhausting. Um, it's, you know, that whole code switching thing is absolutely exhausting. You know, uh, coming from Miami where I didn't have to do a whole lot of that. Not not because of anything in particular, but simply because it was a different place um, in a different culture. I also was not known. Nobody knew me. Um, they knew my name. And that was pretty much it. They knew my name. They knew my resume. 
Right. Um, and I would assume that it's an anxiety for everyone when they land at a new spot. You know, am I going to be liked? Am I going to be accepted? Et cetera, et cetera. And the easy, easiest thing to do is to blend in, you know, as much as possible. Um, so, you know, when off you I went to blend, blend in. in. When, when you can't see, and that's the thing, uh, you know, I have the luxury that I can, I can blend in. Mm -hmm. um, I know the, t the term that's oftentimes used is that I can pass. Not everyone has that luxury. Um, and I'm using the term luxury for a lack of better term. I'm not sure that it's um, just for a lack of better term. Um, it, having, having a parent tell me I've never met a Latina who graduated from college until I met you. And I'm like, come back home with me. I'm, we're a dime a dozen. You know, um, our parents would work two and three jobs so that we could go to college and get our degrees. Um, and oftentimes, these are parents who had college degrees in their native lands, native um, countries, but because they didn't speak English, they couldn't practice medicine and they couldn't practice law. So they're bartending and they're cleaning hotel rooms um, and they're cleaning schools and putting their kids in, in private school. Yes. Um, you know, and, and absolutely brilliant professionals in their homeland but not able to do that here for whatever reason um, and expecting us to go to college. It's not even, it, it, it don't even suggest not going to college. It's, just, just don't even, you'll be disowned, um, you know, sort of deal. But um, you know, I got to the point where I decided I was done. I was done with the, with, with the whole code switching thing. So I play my music now. I speak in Spanglish because it's what's natural to me. Um, especially when I'm hanging around certain people, you know, my timer in my classroom doesn't go ding, ding. It goes sticky, sticky, you know, <laughs> bones it. don't go, you know, bones don't go snap. They go, you know, stuff like that. Um, I, I love, I, I, I love that. I love that. I work at a place where I am free to do that. Mm -hmm. um, Which brings so much for our students and our community. And it's so sad to me when people feel like they have to code switch to such an extent of leaving part of themselves behind because we mm -hmm. then don't get to learn from there. Um, mm -hmm. One last question in regards to the fears of being a person of color in a predominantly white space. What is your fear in regards to your I guess other, when you see students of color, do you feel responsible for them? Do you feel like, like, well, how does that play out for you? I know you're both nodding your head at me. So what is, what does that look like? It, it looks like everything. Like in my mind, I'm like, I'm thinking in my mind, I'm like, are they really okay? Like, how, how are they really doing? So oftentimes, you know, especially if you're in a multi-campus situation like we were like there was a lot of students who like I, I didn't know like personally but like it was almost like that just kind of unspoken communication like we'd see each other and it's just like like I see you and like sometimes I'd go hey if you need anything like I know I'm not here but like you can reach out um and a lot of times students did um I don't know it's just something about you know I would often tell them just because I mean the schools I grew up in were heavily diverse went to public school and so I was like I couldn't imagine enduring some of the things that you were enduring as middle school kid I'm like I'm already trying to figure out what is life and like 
hormones and all of the normal things that make middle school and high school weird <laughs> on top of yeah. now this whole cultural identity and what that means and um so yeah just um just feeling the need to to speak truth into them um and just like i say yeah make myself known as a as a place that you can go things get crazy Cindy, I know you and I have discussions a lot um, in regards to looking at you teach AP courses and looking at, well, where are my students of color in these AP courses? Can you can you walk us through what that feels like and looks like? Yeah, um, that's that's uh, I'm not going to say that what Tomark has mentioned is not my focus. It's very that is part of my focus. But another part of my focus, and maybe it's because I teach upside because I'm in upper school um, is. Uh, striving academically. Um, unfortunately, um, because we live in a sinful world, oftentimes there are people in the population in general that don't expect much academically or don't think that people of color can achieve academically. Um, so it's very disturbing to me when one of my students, when any of my students, no matter what their ethnicity, holds themselves back um, academically. But it is particularly disturbing to me when it's one of my students of color um, who holds themselves back academically because they are a student of color. color. Like society doesn't expect that from me. um, So why should I try that? Um, That's exactly why you should do it because society doesn't expect it from you. You know, um, one of my African-American students who's just coasting um, and isn't, uh, you know, has the brains to be in AP courses and is choosing to remain in college prep um, courses because they don't want to do the effort. And I and and after I establish a relationship with them, I'll sit them down and ask them, "What do you think Frederick Douglass would say to you?" Mm. Yeah, you know, and that's just one example. Um, do you, uh, you are meant, there is no dishonor, no dishonor in pushing a broom or mopping a floor or wiping a counter to earn a living. There is zero dishonor in that. That is an honest, honorable job. You're earning a paycheck. You're providing a service that is necessary. And for some people, that's their calling in life. And they do it well and they do it to God's glory. Mm -hmm. But for many of us, that is not our calling. Mm -hmm. Don't let society in any way, shape, or form, limit you in your calling. If God has given you a brain between your ears, um, he intends for you to use it. Now, you might have to push a broom and mop the floor and wipe the counter while you earn that degree. And there's nothing wrong with that. You're probably going to love having your degree a whole lot more than the one that didn't have to strive for the tuition. Um, but that, that's my main focus. You have a brain. Do not, do not let anyone, for any reason at all, tell you that you should not be striving. Um, it, it is very disturbing to me um, that I have so few students of color in my AP classes. Yeah. 
I, and I love that about you, that constant conversation that we have of pushing kids and helping them realize one of our seniors, um, he came out a few days ago, we were on a call because with our adult symposium, we're hoping to create the student symposium. And so we had kids from Boston and Atlanta and Dallas, and they were talking and he said that he finally came to the realization that he was trying so hard to be quote unquote normal that he didn't push himself academically where he should have pushed himself because he has the ability. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, You know, and all of us are carrying the legacy and the heritage of our ancestors, every single one of us, but some of us carry it a little bit more. Mm -hmm. You know, I think of Dr. Maya Angelou's, you know, her poem, I am the hope and the dream of the slave. Mm -hmm. Um, And while my ethnicity was not, was not enslaved. It was attempted, but it, it didn't take. Um, my ethnicity was held back, um, depending on what what part of the of the world you're, you know, what part of, of the new world you're discussing or studying. Um, but their blood runs through my veins. I I I have a responsibility to progress and to move forward and to attempt, at the very least, to attempt to achieve because of the bridge that they built for me, a bridge that they didn't, they understood they probably would never get to walk across, but they built it for me. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna throw the crumbs from my table on to them. That's not what I'm gonna offer them by not striving to be the best that I possibly can be. Absolutely. I, I love that. And I think for me that also, um, speaking to like you were saying, like it, it, excelling me and all, in all levels, rather you're, you know, a, a high achieving student or, you know, low if, if even if school isn't your best forte, I think still, um, I felt a responsibility advocating for students um, behind the scenes as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember where I saw a quote, probably was on social media talking about, um, you like you need people in high places that are speaking up on your behalf. And I just think about, you know, situations where students, um, you know, white students that I knew that were struggling in school and the conversations around was like, man, how do we, how do we uh, equip them in best ways we can and come alongside them so that they can, so that they can do it? How do we, how do we keep them in this honors class? How do we, maybe it's a learning lab. Do we need to do this? Do they need to get testing? Maybe they have some learning disabilities or whatever the case may be. And it was just like, you know, resource, 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 resource until they achieve. Mm-hmm. And then seeing in, in some other cases where it's just like, you know, students of minorities, are, well, they're just not, you know, school just isn't their thing or, you know, it's just not for everybody. And, you know, maybe they're just, you know, like that's, you know, maybe that's just their, their peak. And I'm like, no, we need to have the same conversations about how do we resource them? How do we Maybe we need to get them tested. How do we get them in learning lab? How do we, you know, apply all the same tools that we would for each and every student equally because they are just as capable of doing it. And the way that we settle and speak to them and tell them, oh, well, that's probably your bar. Well, what are they going to believe? Oh, well, this is my bar. Um, but, but for the student that we're pushing and telling, no, oh, you're capable of more, they're going to continue to reach and strive and work for more. Um and so, yeah, I think that's, um, yeah, that's huge. 
I, I love hearing how y'all your passion for, um, for working for the students and that fear of you are representing these students. You're trying to advocate for them. You are the place, the place for them. Um, and so I guess, as we wrap up this podcast, just this understanding that there are a lot of fears in this work, there are fears for the majority, there are fears for the underrepresented. There are a lot of fears that go on in all different parameters of this work. And so I guess to wrap it up, what is one piece of advice each of you would give to, I don't know, make your audience, who is your audience? And what was one piece of advice you'd give to that audience in this work? Um, You mentioned fear. Um, If you are a teacher who is using the terminology that's used nowadays, not of color, don't let your fear keep you from asking questions. If you have a question, if you're curious, ask. Now ask someone that you have a relationship with, that helps, right? Um, but, but come and ask. It, I love when one of my colleagues comes to me and says, I have a question for you. And it has something to do with what we're talking about, right? Um, it's, it, it, number one, I love that we have that relationship. Number two, I love that they're trying Um, So I would say don't let the fear, as legitimate as it is, and I think that's why some people get a little, get very defensive or rather defensive about this whole topic is because of fear. I think, I'm a psychologist a long time ago when I took my last psych class, but is it it still considered a natural response, uh, defensiveness to be, to when you're afraid, you know, sort of deal, but don't, don't let your fear, um, don't let it don't let it stop you and also remember that if you have one member of your faculty or two members of your faculty that are of color that they're not the token minority mm. there's diversity within our diversity that. right um, that. yeah that that would be one of the things that don't don't just put us all in a box love it right right african american culture is different than the culture that comes from the caribbean mm-hmm right? Um, the diversity within the Latino community, um, you know, sort of deal. So those would be my two things. Yeah. Along those lines, uh, my Bible guy, First uh, John 4.18, right? Christian Standard Bible. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love or has not been made perfect in love. A love has not come to its fullest fulfillment in maturity. Um, All of this happens in the context of relationship. First, my relationship with God and my relationship with people. Um, My relationship with God like I say, is going to put me in a place where if I fear him more than I fear man, um, fidelity to what he's called me to, in spite of opposition, in spite of right conflict, is going to keep me and allow me to stay the course, even when it's hard. Fear in the context, or um, and then also in the context of relationship with one another. Um, 
there's fear in approaching a stranger in a tough conversation, somebody that I don't know, somebody that I'm not acquainted with. Um, but if I'm building a relationship, right, if we like the four of us, like we've we've built the kind of relationship where we our relationship can sustain tough conversations because there's not a fear. Dan could Dan could ask me an outlandish question, and I know without a shadow of a doubt Dan loves me, and I don't I don't charge it as like oh that's hate. Um, context that's why like social media and the news is just such a bad like if you that's my tip if you're trying to do this diversity thing like don't do the social media thing like you need to talk to a like old school so like before we had like computers and stuff we would like sit down with people and you could like smell their breath and like hear them have that kind of conversation Uh, because it it changes the dynamic drastically um but having having these conversations in those contexts, because uh, you notice at the beginning of the passage, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to preach, but he says perfect love, right? There is no love and fear because perfect love drives out fear. So if there was fear there to start, right, the, the loving relationship pushes it away. And that's that's what alleviates it. Get in a relationship with people. Get to know. Don't walk up to somebody that you don't know and say, hey, man, so like it's Tell me about being black. Like, no, like, you know, like, hey, man, what's your name? Let's have you. I like, I care about, but it's more than just, I want you to help because that's being like a taker, right? Like, it's not just you helping me along in my diversity journey. It's me being invested in you as a person. It's what Paul talks about in Thessalonians when he says, we became so fond of you that we shared with you not only the gospel, but our very lives. Like, we care about people and ministry and diversity and all of these things happens in the context of loving relationships with people first out of a place of being in a loving relationship with God. And so, um, it's not just a transactional relationship. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Dan. Yeah. No, I love, I love how you started off, you know, the conversation about just kind of the fears, the anxieties that somebody may have, which are important, right? I mean, uh, you know, when, when Christ sent out his disciples, right, he did say, be as wise as serpents and innocent as doves, right? So, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> but the, the, the idea is, you know, and that's, that's what this, you know, podcast really kind of, you know, the heart of the podcast was to help people, you know, navigate some of these things, you know, uh, one through, you know, Jenna, your experience, you know, Cindy, you know, Tamarcus, you know, um, the, just the, the, the road that you guys have traveled down that, that we, the four of us have been able to go down. Um, you know, I hope that we thought it would be helpful to other people who want to engage in it. But they, at the end of the day, I think, you know, what Tamarcus uh, just said is the Bible speaks to these issues. Um, and I don't care if, if there's fear, um, if there's trepidation, if there is, um, you know, difficulty that comes with this work. Um, this is what Christ has called us to do, right? So we have we have been reconciled to Him, uh, and so regardless of what I think, right? Uh, Tamarcus is my brother, right? You know, Cindy, Jenny, you're my sister, uh, and so when there are injustices in the world, right, they, they may not affect me personally. Um, but they affect me because they affect my brothers and sisters in Christ. And so um, this isn't a work that I think we can um, negotiate if we want to do, or if it's too difficult to do. Uh, it's simply work that Christ has called us to do. And I think our students 
uh, are the ones that we owe it to, right? We owe it to our students to engage in these difficult conversations and these meaningful dialogues and this, um, this really, really um, important work because our students are going to get eaten up by the world uh, and spit out if they are not equipped and trained and prepared uh, about these things. If, if we're going to train them in math and science and literature, which are, which are so important, and I think we do a wonderful job of those things, but we're not going to train them uh, in some of the areas that uh, the enemy is going to attack them in, uh, in, the, in these cultural battles that they are just going to get, you know, slaughtered in. Uh, I think we owe it to our students to say, you know what, yeah, this is going to be difficult work. But as Tamarca said, uh, you know, let's build the relationships. Let's do the work. Uh, let's engage in um, this really meaningful, uh, thoughtful process. And, and can I tell you, I, I know that me personally, right, I've grown because of it. Right. And so, you know, not not to do anything because you get something out of it, you know, yourself. But the reality of it is, is, you know, I have a richness of relationships with you guys that I would not have had before. I have an understanding uh, of a world that I, I had not been engaged in before. Um, I'm aware of things that I had not paid attention to before. And so I think, you know, the reality of it is, um, you know, that, that I think I've even grown just as a person um, you know, in my own walk. Uh, and, and I think that's just so important for our kids to see. So I know that talking about the fears is important and, and equipping people so that they can do the work is important. Um, but the reality of it is, it's just, this is something that the gospel has called us to. Uh, and, and these are things that are really important for us to be a part of. So I hope, I hope people navigate it um, well, as Tamarcus said, I hope you don't just walk out there and say something dumb. Um, you know, I hope you think about it first and, and pray about it and, and learn to be engaged in it. Um, but it's, it's so important that I don't think we have an option not to participate. Yeah. Well, then following in those same lines, I hope that if you're available June 6th through 8th, that you will come to the symposium because that is the entire goal of this symposium. Everybody putting it on is volunteering to put it on because we want to create a place for Christian educators to wrestle with these ideas, to learn together because we feel like we're better together. Mm -hmm. So we'd love to have you. We're at Mount Perrin. Again, the website is christiandiversity.school. I'll put it in the podcast notes, but thanks for walking this journey with us on fears. We know that there are a lot of fears, but um, we hope we're encouraging you to push through those fears and to learn more, not only about diversity, equity, and inclusion, but in that you actually get to learn more about who God is. So thank y'all. And we hope to hear you. I have you listen in again. Thank you for listening to Grace 360. As always, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are for educational purposes and are not intended to be divisive or inflammatory in nature. We hope you listened and learned as much as we have in the process of producing the show and pray you'll join us for our next episode. You can find us on social media. We would love to have you as part of our discussion with your thoughts and questions. Once again, thank you for listening to Grace 360.